Hey, this is Angus Crookshank, and you're listening to the Future Sickos Podcast. But you can hear our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickos were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes, it's a space, it's but you can hear our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickos were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes. The Future Sickos Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbet, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. It's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets right now, instantly. What is up, everyone? How are you doing, Derek? Welcome back to episode 12 of the Future Sickos podcast. We we took a little break because, honestly, it seems like everyone's taking a little break in, in Senator's world, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be um, w- wherever it may be in, in announcing of signings, announcing of trades, whatever it is. So we just figured we would follow suit and kind of read the room and, and, and take a little break. But how are you doing, Derek? Thanks for asking, Brennan. I'm doing really, really well. Um, glad to be home for a little bit here to catch my breath before heading back to the hospital. Um, but yeah, everyone's taking a break. Like you said, I think even the Pierre's are taking a little bit of a nap right now. So there's there really wasn't a whole lot of major news to talk about. So that's why we decided that now would be, I guess, the most opportune time to take a little break from recording. But uh, but we're back and uh, training camp is coming just over a month away, I guess, already. It was a shortened summer. Um, so we're heading back uh, toward the regular season and we're still sort of uncertain about where things are heading. So um, there's plenty to talk about now that we took a little break. Probably some things that were already talked about uh, elsewhere, but we'll we'll cover them from our perspective and give you our sort of uh, opinions on those things, and uh, we'll we'll get into it. Um, but first, I got to find out how the newest uh, Sens insider is doing. I'm doing really well. It's it's a it's a busy job. It's a it's a busy thing to be doing to be on the on the inside. But you know, like. It, it just riding it like a wave, man. Sometimes, sometimes Drake Batherson might like hockey. Sometimes Brady Kachuk might, might make for a good captain. So, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I feel like um, I've always kind of had the ability, but now it just feels really nice to kind of put pencil to pen and or pen to paper and, and truly become <laughs> a pencil to pen probably wouldn't get me too far. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I, I have to say, I agree. I do not think that there's any shortage of things to talk about. I know that you and I both love speculation. So regardless of the quietness surrounding the Ottawa Senators, I think that there's actually quite a bit to be said regarding that quietness. And um, I guess like one thing that I kind of wanted to get into is is what you take of this. I know like myself, when I look back at the offseason that the Ottawa Senators had last year and there was a lot of acquisition or ac- a lot of players acquired who yeah. were maybe not the best fit. There was a lot of guys that were brought in and I know kind of like it was even shorter of a timeline when, when the season finally was coming into fruition and there was a lot of deals that were really pulled just to kind of get the ball rolling. And I'm, I'm curious um, if you think that maybe this silence is because of 
last year, maybe even just kind of things in the past of maybe deals that didn't work out properly. And now the team really wants to make sure that they're not tampering with something that is it's a bit sensitive to tamper with, if we're being honest. Yeah, good point. I think uh, last year, I think, was an anomaly too, right? I mean, we had the COVID break and it was an incredibly long pause. Um, and then the Senators had the major draft um, where they drafted Stusla and Sanderson and introduced new jerseys. And um, there was a huge uproar. And of course, they they um, traded for Matt Murray. Um, they acquired Evgeny Dadanov. Um, there was some major kind of big splash um, news last year, but I think it was a bit of an anomaly um, with the, the huge break. So it kind of set the bar way too high in terms of expectations. But then again, there was, like you said, all those depth signings and we we're probably more confused last year looking at the situation and wondering where some of our favorite sort of prospects from last year were going to fit in. I mean, I mean, I know they went out and got Galchenyuk as well and people started questioning whether Tim Stutzla would be part of the team, you know, moving forward or if they would send him back to Germany and there was that debate going on and, and this season it's it's just much more quiet although the defensive situation we'll talk more in depth about the defensive situation because i think it's a little bit overcrowded there right now um but if, of course the offseason isn't over so it's too early to judge but uh but so far yeah it's been um almost too quiet um but it, but there's an argument that can be made for good quiet i mean you don't want sort of uh the veterans coming in that are just going to block, you know, the younger players from, uh, from taking their positions. And then of course we ended the season on such a high, right? I mean, it was a little while ago now, but the senators went on a huge run at the end of last season and really uh, sort of solidified, um, you know, the direction that they were heading. I, I think, uh, you know, they, they're heading in the right direction. They were one of the better teams down the stretch. Uh, I think they're actually top five down the stretch uh, in the league from the, trade deadline out. So, uh, so really good end to the season. A um, lot of mobility on the defensive side of things and uh, a lot younger. They got a lot younger as the year went on. So um, hopefully we could see much of the same to start the season. Although um, we know they're heading back into the Atlantic division where things are a lot uh, more difficult to, uh, to leapfrog teams, but there are teams that maybe didn't get better or, or some teams that, you know, arguably got worse. Uh, in that division. So um, so it, it'll be a real interesting season if this is what they head into the season with, if this is the final product. I don't think it's the final product. I think there's still things to be done. Um, and, and I think they're looking at a center. But uh, but what do you make of the quietness? Are you happy with it? First of all, I, just, I think it's hilarious. Uh, of the teams that got worse, it seems like it may only be Buffalo. And I just, I didn't even know that that was possible watching uh, the way that they played last year. But, um, but no, on, honestly, I, I think that the quietness is a bit of a sign that this team is becoming more of a well-rounded unit. I think that we went through a few years where there was a lot of pieces and a lot of uncertainty and like, okay, what are we dealing with? And what what are these players? What is Josh Norris? Is he going to be an NHL player next year? Probably didn't expect him to be a number one center. I don't know if, if he's even that yet, but um, I, I do think that there was a lot of these question marks that were kind of in the air. And due to that, um, there, there was a lot of acquisition. <laughs> I'm doing this again. A lot of players acquired and a lot of moves that kind of had to take place to be able to figure out how, how exactly it was going to work out. But it really does kind of feel like now the team has a core, like a legitimate core of young guys, but also of like the Nick Pauls and the Connor Browns and guys who've kind of 
earn their spot and are are finding their role with this team. So it could also quite quite possibly be that the team doesn't really want to stop anyone from progressing or or they're very happy with the way that certain players have added up and, and lined up. I do think that this roster needs work. And I think that this team wants to compete. I think that Dorian, well, both of the peers now, I think that they're in uh, an area where they're ready to truly compete for a playoff spot. I know that that was kind of the focus last year, but I I think it was kind of a a half focus, more of a let's see if it can happen where this year I I genuinely think that there are a few pieces away from being a bubble team. And I, I think that those moves are coming. I think that they realize that. And I think that they're not pushing it they're not doing anything just to do something and i really like that because i i am a bit scared that they could easily move on from prospects to try to kind of go into those win now modes that you see a lot of teams do i mean the leafs have been doing it for my entire life where they just move their prospects or picks to be able to be in a win now mode and i do think that they want to see this rebuild through but then they're also kind of trying to find these deals for the right players and guys who can really come in and properly fill that void. So if if come opening night or even come like 20 games into the season, if they haven't acquired a player who I believe or, or who I feel is a top six center or, or can play even like a a top line right role or right wing role, like depending on what they see as their need, if that move still hasn't been made, I, I would definitely I would be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed. However, I do think that we need to continue to remain patient because the last thing we want is for them to rush and acquire, I don't know, like dare I say, an Adam Henrique or something, and that kind of be their big move just to do something and bring in just a, a plethora of more players into a pipeline where there's not a lot of room for more guys. It's more so that we need the right guys. Yeah, so it's uh, it's almost a less is more sort of uh, mentality going into this season, I think, uh, for the Senators from their perspective. And I think, um, you know, like we mentioned, they they learned that from last year. But um, I'm with you. I'd be a little bit disappointed, at least if they didn't use the money that was saved in the Dadnov uh, deal, because I thought that was a, a really clever bit of uh, tidy work by Pierre Dorian in that trade to... Uh, acquire a defenseman that they can use in Nick Holden, but also move on from a fairly hefty contract in a player that just never really fit in with the team in Dadanov. Um, I, I thought it was a, it was a nice move. It was a really good move on his part, but, uh, but if you don't use that money, is it really a good move? I mean, that's something I questioned myself, but, uh, but of course you still have to be responsible with the money. I, I don't think, again, I don't think it's time for them to make a huge splashy deal um, again, unless, and I know everyone's talking about Jack Eichel, uh, unless the, you know, the price is way lower than it would be for Jack Eichel. And you know, the injury is going to, you know, heal. Okay. And everything's going to be all right on that front. Um, and you feel like he can fit into the culture that you're building. Cause I think, uh, the, the more important thing, the senators are building an identity. And I think that's, one of the bigger problems I see with some of these teams that are in that sort of good, but not great range is they have really skilled and good teams, but they often lack an identity. And you see it with like a lot of Canadian teams. You see it with um, Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, absolutely. Um, but they aren't sure who they are. And every year they make these little tweak moves, right? But, but it's not actually moving the scale. Um, but at least with Ottawa, the way Pierre Dorian is building this team, they have a clear identity. They've, 
they've made it known that they're going to be a hard, nasty to play against um, kind of team. And that's the style they want to build. And, um, you know, it, it could be successful if they continue to build things organically. Um, but it wouldn't hurt to get a piece. Um, in my mind, it wouldn't hurt to get a piece that will help take them to the next level. And I think no one is going to argue the fact that Ottawa needs to take a step forward, a fairly substantial step forward this year. Um, we no longer want to be in the conversation for the lottery pick. And I know a lot of people are going to say, yeah, but it's a really good draft this year. You know, you can get a really good player in the top five, even in the top 10. But uh, but I'm past that myself. I, I want to see them take a forward step. Uh, I think they need to take a forward step um, for their current core to, to get used to winning and to know what that's like. And I think, um, you know, it's also been sort of leaked out in the media that Brady Kachuk wants to make sure that Ottawa is going to be um, sort of gearing up for a winning team and they're, they're going to stay true to their words. So um, there's a lot of top six centers rumored to be, you know, potentially going to Ottawa top six. We use that loosely um, in this case, because it, it's players like Dvorak who, you know, top six kind of um, you can make a case for it. Um, you know, uh, Strom is another one. In my mind, we need to see the Eichel chip fall first. I don't know where you land on this, Brennan. But I think ultimately the Senators, I'd be surprised if they went in the season with Pinto as their number two. Yeah, I I, I would also be surprised. Like, I, I think that Pinto could definitely work his way up to being a number two center. I think that the potential is definitely there, but I don't think it is next year. And I do think that this team is ready to compete. Like, I, I genuinely do. And I think I agree that the mentality really needs to shift. I think that we've had a few years where we're like, okay, it's it's fine to lose. Like we're we're okay with that because we're getting Timmy Stutzel, we're getting Jake Sanderson, we're getting all these awesome, exciting players. And there's been a lot of promise surrounding the organization, regardless of how we ended in the standings. Like I know that even the year where where we got Stutzel and Sanderson, that might have been one of the more optimistic years in recent memory because. We knew we finished like second last or third last and San Jose finished second last and we were getting potentially two top three. It turned out to be two top five picks. So it, it's definitely been something that we've been able to kind of look at that silver lining, but we really do kind of need to get in that habit of, of being ready to win. And I think that that's what the Ottawa Senators are already in. They've demonstrated that they compete every single night, regardless of the team that they're rostering. And, and I think that that's really the big thing with DJ Smith is you know, like when he first came in, they they were not a very skilled team, but he, he guaranteed that they were going to work out like work as hard, if not harder than the opponent on any given night. And that's kind of been their brand. That's been their identity. And now that they're becoming more skilled, well, that's scary. That's a scary team to play against. They have a chance of winning every single night and the, the nights that they win are just going to continue to grow. So I think that we're at a point now where it's an expectation or it should be an expectation of fans to see this team win. And I think it's an expectation of management. I think it's an expectation of ownership. I think that we're arrived in that area. And I mean, we are in a horrible division to be competing right now. If, if we're, I'm being completely honest, like I think that there's probably, well, I would say every other division that I would prefer to be in, but regardless, like I believe in this team, I think that we can do it. I think that the Atlantic could take five of the playoff spots easily and the, the, with those two wild card spots, and I think that Ottawa could compete for one of them. Like, I, I don't think that that's out of question. So um, I, I think that now is kind of the time to push for it. You brought up Jack Eichel, and truthfully, I feel like that is the kind of piece 
that the Ottawa Senators really need to push them over the top. And I know there's been some talk about that Pierre Maguire kind of lineup of, of what you need in a, on a franchise team. And you need to have uh, this and this and that, that power forward forward and that shut, shut down D and that like offensive defenseman. But one of those things that he outlines is two elite centers. He, he comes out and, and completely says like that a team, if they're going to compete and be playoff, like Stanley cup caliber, you need to have two elite centers. And you look at pretty much all the teams that compete and are, are constantly in that playoff push. And they have two elite centers, two centers that could probably be number one on a weak team. And I think that it's possible that Josh Norris can potentially turn into that and he could potentially be that number one center, but we, we need someone, we need someone that's better. If I'm being honest, not, I love Josh Norris, but we need someone who's even that tier higher than Josh Norris for us to be at that level. And I don't think that we have it in the organization unless Timmy Stutzel does end up going to that center position. So I, I genuinely do think that that's an area that the Sens need to address. And I think that it's something that they should address now, because honestly, like we have a lot of good players that are going to be able to play good minutes where our sal their salary caps are going to be fairly low. Like their salary hits are not going to be the highest. So I, I think, I think now is the time to go for it. I'm, I'm all in on Jack. Eagle. I know they're not going to do it, but I I'm going to bed every night at 11, 11, making that wish and saying my prayers. And um, who knows, who knows who else is out there? Like that, that's one thing that we don't think about is we, we always speculate about these trades, but how many times do we look back and we're like, Oh my God, who would have even thought that they were shopping that player? Yeah, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, a, how often does a player like Jack Eichel, you know, come on the market for perceivably, we, we don't know what the price is, but, uh, it's perceived as below market value right now. So, um, you know, there's a chance you can get an elite player who's under 25 years of age, um, that could fit right into your core. That's already signed on a long-term contract. Um, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't. Um, but again, uh, this team again is built on sort of that character that we talk about. And, and that's something that's been, I guess, in question with Eichel. And I don't really buy into that or subscribe to that at all. I think he was in a crappy situation in Buffalo. Um, and a lot of people wanted out of that situation. So, um, you know, I, I can't really fault him for the things that he said and, and wanting out of that organization, but, um, you know, th there's a few centers that have been rumored and, and sort of loosely linked to the senators. Uh, my favorite of them besides Eichel, cause I think that would be the ultimate, uh, win if they were able to acquire him for, you know, a number of players, uh, and prospects, but, uh, the one that I think would make a big difference and would actually tip the scale and perhaps put them into a playoff contention would be to Tomas Hurdle to me from San Jose. Um, that's a player that, you know, he's still not very old and uh, I think he's 27 years old, um, puts up points every year. He's a skilled player. I think he would fit in really well with Stutzla. I think, um, you know, that would be a, a dynamic duo and then you'd have the top line intact with Norris, Kachuk, and Batherson. So you'd have a, a pretty good one-two punch um, in my mind if you went that route. But uh, there's other players as well. I mean, the Strom, uh, the Strom thing, I mean, it, it could be a fit. I, I just worry and I caution sort of what they're going to give up to get a guy on an expiring deal like Ryan Strom. And um, not even that. I mean, I, I'm not even worried about that, but it's the next contract. I mean, even if he wanted to stay in Ottawa, how much are you going to have to pay a guy who's, 
you know, pushing 30 years old and playing with Artemi Panarin. And, you know, we just seen Dadanov and the success that he had with Huberdo and Barkov. Is it the same sort of thing with Ryan Strom? You know, is he really uh, a top tier player? We, I don't think we really know that until we see him away from a guy like Panarin. Um, but on the flip side, you could argue that maybe Timmy Stutzle is the next Panarin. I mean, that's a player that he sort of uh, models his game after in some ways. I don't know if he purposely does that, but he, he has similar qualities. Um, you know, I wanted to touch on the, the defensive side of things because it's crowded and it appears that, I don't know, just looking at it from an outside perspective, I know you have an inside perspective, but uh, Eric Brandstrom... Um, I don't know if, if he's the odd man out here. I'm counting eight guys at the NHL level. Brandstrom is the eighth guy. However, Brandstrom is the only guy on a non-NHL contract. Um, what do you make of that, Brennan? So we're looking at five left-hand D, and Pierre Dorian essentially came out and said that that he's not ready to flip over to that right side. And I, I think that... There's a few things. I, I think that Eric Brandstrom is the perfect trade bait right now. If the Sens are truly looking to get someone who's elite. And that's not me saying that I want to move on from Eric Brandstrom. And I also don't even think that he's at his highest value. I think that he has a lot more to prove and he's going to turn into a number one power play guy. Like I, I think that he has that, but I, I do also know that if we're throwing around these names like hurdle and Eichel, those are guys that are going to come at a pretty, pretty big price tag. And if you look at the Ottawa senators, the one area or something that they would be able to give up um, where, where the, it's a strength is, is lefty. That's one thing that they do have. Like we, we have Shabbat and we have Sanderson in between those two guys. Well, they may be able to play 50 minutes a night. So it, it's one of those things where you look at it and from an organizational strength and an and embarrassment of riches, might we throw that around again? Um, that That's an area that they have it. And that's also not an area where a lot of teams do have a lot of depth. Like I know that when we look at Buffalo and San Jose, like they, they actually are pretty solid. I don't know if San Jose would want to make the Eric Brandstrom, Eric Carlson combo happen, but I think it's kind of natural to bring Eric Brandstrom's name up in trade talks and already, and then with the addition of two lefty in uh, Holden as well as Delzato, well, it, it just kind of makes it that much more natural. So I, I don't think that anything's imminent. Like I'm not saying that he's for sure gone and that the writing's on the wall for Eric Brandstrom. I think that the organization believes in him. I think that they're ready to be patient with them. I do think that they know what he can turn into, but I think that if a team is willing to kind of assess him evenly or state, you know, like we, we also value him kind of close to what you're saying. We realize that he's a special player here and he's someone that catches our eye and we're willing to, to give you your missing piece for something that could turn into something special here. I think, I think it just makes sense. Like, I think that down the road, it, it's quite possible that he gets stuck behind Shabbat and Sanderson on that left side. And I mean, I, I think he's a better defenseman than a third pairing D like I, at the end of the day. So I, I think that it makes sense that they would be shopping him. However, I, I don't think that the team is looking to get rid of him for nothing. I think that they just realize that he definitely has some value. And why not see if you can get something that you need more so for, for something that has value? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we got a clearer picture once we had Pierre Dorian come onto the show and tell us a little bit about sort of where they see Brandstrom in the future and, you know, how they are comfortable sort of 
rolling with a one, two, three on the left side of Shabbat, Sanderson, and Brandstrom. Um, but as you said, if Brandstrom is genuinely a top four defenseman, which I believe he will be, and underlying stats, you know, tell you that quite confidently that he will be, um, and you're going to play him on the bottom pairing. I mean, why not have a cheaper sort of Eric Brandstrom esque player like Victor Mete stay long term, who's still very young in himself? Um, and use Eric Brandstrom, like you said, to acquire um, a player that will help you elsewhere in your lineup, um, such as center, uh, which is an area where I just don't see anyone in the organization. I know we have Pinto there, who's a potential number two, and you have Norris, who's a potential number one. Um, but these things are still question marks, and they're hoping to compete as early as this year. So if you still have major question marks like that, I don't think you're genuinely ready to compete. And I think those question marks need to be answered um, fairly soon. And I, I, I believe we're not done here in the off season. I've said that before. Uh, I do believe that, you know, the chips are going to fall, so to speak, when Jack Eichel is traded. I'm not suggested that su suggesting that he's being traded to Ottawa, but I do think there might be some sort of pending trades or teams that at least know where they stand. Um, after Jack Eichel gets moved, because there's probably a number of teams that are um, in the Eichel sweepstakes, so to speak. So they have to wait for that situation to play out. And um, it's playing out right uh, right close to training camp, where, like I said, we're a month and some change away from training camp. So uh, hopefully the Sabres are able to move on from Eichel. I don't think anyone would want him to come to camp in that situation. Um, but we've, we got to go on to the RFAs as well. So. Well, one thing, one thing I do want to talk about with that, um, just before we move on with that point is when, when you look at the way that things have gone down this off season, you can look at the goalies, for instance, and I know that there was like that Grubauer signing, but then you kind of saw a lot of teams start to panic because that first big fish comes off the wall. And then all the other teams are like, okay, oh, Grubauer is gone. Like I got to give up Connor Timmons in a first rounder to acquire Darcy Kemper because he might be gone going somewhere else. So I do think that it's one of those things where I, I agree. Um, it, it likely will be Eichel is that big fish or one of the centers where a, a few teams might be expressing interest in or trying to get. And they're like, okay, now we need to make our move. Like, what was that extra asset you wanted? You have it like take two. So I, I do think that it's kind of one of those things we, we saw it with the D contracts as well. Like sometimes they just need that comparable. And then, this year it got absolutely ridiculous with, with some of them, but it, it was kind of one of those things where it was it was there and then they, they started to fall fall like flies. So I think that that's what a big part of the waiting game is, is I, I don't think that it's necessarily the Ottawa Senators that are like, okay, like let's hold off or, or we can't get, or we're not doing anything like we're sleeping. I think that it's a lot more of, well, what what's everyone else doing? Like what's happening? Like the whole NHL has been so quiet and they're just there's been a lot of uncertainty, whether it be like with the cap teams not getting what they want for players, players on like wanting a lot more. And I, I think that that's kind of just creating all these log jams with a lot of different things. But um, with those log jams, one of the things that that you wanted to talk about. So maybe just briefly, we, we do have an RFA signing to announce with that Victor Mate coming in as, um, as our fifth left defenseman, which is awesome. It was definitely a position of need. But no, in all seriousness was super happy to see him get that deal. He definitely earned it with his stint in Ottawa. Uh, I don't know if you listened to him that on TSN 1200 at all, but it was really cool to kind of hear him uh, when, when he came into Ottawa, how DJ Smith 
was really ready to have him play his game. And he just said, look, man, go out there and do what you do best because that is when young players play their best is when they go out and kind of have that larger leash to be able to prove themselves. And I think that he did an incredible job beating Victor Mate and I, he, he looked absolutely great in my opinion. So it was really great to see him get locked in. I know that that's a position that we're, we're still trying to figure out, but it, hopefully there is room for him, whether it be as a sixth, seventh D, wh- whatever it turns into, because um, he seems to like it here. He seems like a really likable guy and he fits in well. And he's absolutely epic with all of his previous tweets on Twitter. So uh, I guess real quickly, what did you think of that signing, Derek? Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, uh, I was expecting a one-year deal for Mete, sort of a, a prove-it deal, but also just seeing where he fits, right, in the lineup. So uh, we got a, a nice sample at the end of last season. Uh, he looked terrific in my mind. He's a mobile defenseman who plays at such a high pace that, you know, he's like an energizer bunny back there. And I think that's the difference between him and Brandstrom too. I mean, Mete plays at uh, a much higher pace where Brandstrom's more of a game thinker and he, he's thinking the game at a higher pace. Um, but that's the difference between those two players. Um, and, and, you know, Brandstrom, he, he's, uh, he's a player that I think is, he's going to excel if he's put in the right situation. And, you know, Mete is another player that can excel if he's put in the right situation. So I think they just need sort of a, a responsible sort of defensive partner to play with. And we have Artem Zub here. So, uh, we have that guy, um, the men of all men, Artem Zub. <laughs> absolutely god amongst men really that's actually what zub means in russian god Does of it? men I, there it yes. is that, yeah i mean that from guy an is insider just, from I mean, an insider that is exactly I, what i, I means. can't believe we actually missed touching on the uh acquisition of artem zub in last off season because that was probably the biggest one i mean it's kicking off the show we forgot about that um but yeah i mean back to your point on mete it was a good contract um, it was, uh, you know, a one year deal, one and a half million, I believe it came in at, but, uh, that's, you know, that's something that will, uh, that will look good on the senators this season. He's a defense, he's a capable defenseman. Um, and he plays the game with a really, really high pace with the great transitional abilities from the defensive end to the offensive end. He can't really shoot, but, uh, but he's a guy that can make plays, um, but yeah, moving on from the defense um, and, and moving on to the RFAs, um, Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, Pierre came on and said that he's very confident. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I asked him specifically around, you know, will you have these guys signed by training camp? Yes, we will have these players signed by training camp. Of course, we will have them signed by training camp. Um, again, we have a month and some change to go. So um, I'll be refreshing Twitter even more so now to uh, to find out what the AAV ends up being for Batherson and Kachuk. Uh, specifically on Batherson, though, I think we touched on this before, but I think that's a player that you can really save money on. I think if you try to get a longer-term deal out of Batherson, I think it would do the organization well. Um, and on Kachuk, obviously, if you can get a long-term deal done, that would be great. But I, I think we're leaning more towards a bridge right now. Um, just your feelings on those two contracts specifically. So one thing that I think is interesting with Brady Kachuk is I was very much like, okay, this team needs to sign him long-term. If, if they don't lock him in for eight years, you know, like, what are they doing? He's He's the face of our franchise. He's our next captain. What's going on? But then... 
I kind of started thinking about it a bit. And a lot of this was from people tweeting and just having different conversations. And they kind of like brought it up to me. And it's like, well, you know, if you put an eight year contract on him, he, all of a sudden he's what, tw 29 when that eight year deal is up. Um, he's 29. He's probably looking to sign another long-term deal. And is that really something that the Ottawa senators or, or even like the fan base is necessarily going to want, are we going to want to take a 29 year old power forward? We saw it with Gabriel Landeskog this year where he's going to want another long-term deal for big money. And it's quite possible the way that these guys play the game that by the time they're 30, 33, 34, it, it might not make a lot of sense to have that contract so it, it, it kind of puts us in a weird spot and I remember kind of reading that and really thinking about it and I kind of realized that maybe a bridge deal isn't the worst thing if it means that it's followed up by another long-term deal and I know that the organization wants that commitment we've heard it that if uh, it, it almost sounds like they're leveraging that C in order to get him to sign long-term. And I mean, I don't, I don't care what he can, he can shave a C into his chest with, with his chest hair or throw something up on, on with tape. Like he doesn't need it. Like his, his face itself, his personality, like that, that's enough of an indication that he's a captain. You can give it to Zub. He, he can be silent and then Brady Kachuk will be the one talking, but no, like I, I genuinely think that it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If he signs a bridge deal and if there is another commitment kind of attached to it. And that's kind of what I'm getting the feel for. Like that, that's kind of what I feel like is more likely at this point. It, it does seem like he wants to see what, what this team wants to do what the, what this team's commitment is. Are they willing to pay everyone else around him as well as himself? Are they willing to be true to those players and give them a legitimate chance of winning every single night long-term? And I, I think that it's honestly even more so about that than him wanting as much money as he possibly can. I, I think that he's a guy that wants to win. Like you can tell every single shift he's on the ice. He wants to win. And I think like it, it's very clear kind of what happened for him. He was here for some of it. He saw what went down with Mark Stone. He's living in his damn house. So I, I think that it's one of those things where it really, as, as long as it's kind of followed up with Brady Kachuk is signing a three-year deal, but he is a, a going to be a Senator for life. Maybe not those exact words again, but th that there's another kind of promise there. I, I think that it, it, it could be a really great thing. And I think that just because he signs a bridge deal, doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's to me, it's probably in most players' best interest, especially the top players, to sign um, shorter-term bridge deals as opposed to the long-term deals. Um, you could see that with, you know, players like Nate McKinnon, who probably um, pissed away millions of dollars, <laughs> to be honest, that he could have, he just left on the table. And even in, like, Players like Eichel with inflation, I mean, who knows what the cap's going to be, you know, at the, you know, the last two, three years of that uh, long-term deal. Um, you know, it looks like he's making a lot right now, yes, but uh, with inflation, there might be a lot of players catching him and, you know, he'll probably still be the best player in the league. So you're you're potentially throwing millions of, way, uh, millions of dollars away uh, when you do that as a, as a top player. I think it, it probably benefits the sort of mid-tier players to sign longer term because it gives them that stability. And then if they sort of decrease in terms of their play, they still have that guaranteed money. And then the contract looks bad on the team. Colin White. 
yeah, I mean, you see it right there. They committed a little bit too early. They're in a period where they probably had to fulfill some promises to the fan base. And I think we're still, we're not out of that period because people are still sort of doubting whether the money is actually there or not at this stage. But, you know, and I think the players are too. Like, like, like we talked about with Brady Kachuk, he just wants to make sure the commitment is there from the team. Um, because I think he genuinely loves playing in Ottawa. He gets to play with his best friend and Tim Stutzla, who's probably his other best friend now or, you know, whatever. I think um, he's all of our best friends. He's everybody's best friend. That's right. Um, so, so yeah, it, uh, it does make sense for Brady to sign a bridge deal. And regardless if he signs a bridge or a long-term deal, he's the friggin' captain. Like there's no debate there. I know there was a debate before with, and it's no disrespect to Thomas Shabbat, but uh, Brady Kachuk is the captain of this team. There's no, there's absolutely no debate there left to be had. Um, in, in my mind, at least <laughs> I know in most people's minds, Brady Kachuk is the captain of this ship moving forward and, and hopefully it's heading in the right direction. Um, honestly, a, a big splashy sort of move though could impact that contract. And if it, if, if that's what they're waiting for, you know, it, it's almost like things are sort of lining up too. And it's probably just me talking myself into this thing. But again, I go back to the Eichel thing and he's the biggest player on the market and things have just been so quiet in Sens land. You know, no RFA, major RFA signings, no major free agent signings aside from Del Zotto, if you consider that major, I don't. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of quietness and it's a little bit eerie in a way, but I wonder if it's, you know, building up to something major. Probably not. That's just where I go in my head. But I'm thinking if something like that happened, a big splash like that happened, that's a real sign that the the organization is committing to this team. And that would be a sign for Brady. I mean, if Eichel came on board, I'm sure Brady would sign long-term, no problem. Because now so you Dar have a, an elite piece. Darius dropping the whole, like, it's quiet. It's a little too quiet <laughs> around here kind of thing. I do, I've, I've watched a lot of horror movies, and I know that when when something is quiet and there's nothing going on, there's, there's going to be something big and spooky popping out. So I, I, I actually agree with what you're saying. I, I just want to say that like it, it is kind of crazy with that lack of announcement. And we know that Pierre Dorian is really kind of put a focus on negotiating in the dark and being quiet and not being out there with these big deals. That Dadanoff con like signing last year, that came out of nowhere. We like I had no idea that he was interested in him. Maybe maybe I was the one living underneath the rock, but I, I feel like as of lately, he's been a lot better at keeping himself quiet. So I, I genuinely think that he's in on Eichel, and I think that he should be. Like I, I think that with what's rumored to be asked, the Ottawa Senators could give that and not hurt themselves down the road that much because kind of like what we've spoken about, we have so so much quantity of prospects that, that we can really make a big deal like that and and it, it can make a huge difference so it, it is interesting you have to wonder with Eichel if teams would want to get a deal done as soon as possible because it sounds like if he gets this proposed surgery that he wants his agent wants some other professionals have kind of recommended it sounds like he could be on the ice for the beginning of the season so I don't know why teams wouldn't want that um, unless like Maybe like they're battling with the cap or, or whatever, or maybe like they just kind of can't get to the value that's needed. But no, I, I definitely think that there's something big in the works. I think that Dorian alluded to it. He kind of came out and said, like, we're not done when the 
Dadnoff trade happened when they signed Dell's auto. And I, I know like a lot of people probably thought that that meant like before his whatever time bedtime was at 10 o'clock bedtime. Yeah. So it was fairly yeah. early um, before that happened. I think people were expecting some action, but I, I think that it remains true. I think that they're still not done and they probably are trying to get one big piece as opposed to a bunch of little pieces and kind of go out and may, maybe they're saving, saving their chips for something big. So um, I, I completely agree with that. And I do wonder as well, like if they were to bring in a Jack Eichel, how that would affect a Brady Kachuk and a Drake Batherson contract extension. I know that it could maybe work out quite well that now they're going to sign long-term and because Brady feels confident that they're going to be able to win and, or that they're showing that they're willing to spend and, and want to win. But it could also kind of set this precedence now of like, okay, like this guy's making 10 million. Um, I, I'm going to be requesting this much money. I'm going to be requesting this much money. So it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting. I think it could go both ways. So we told you this would be a speculative episode, and that's sort of what it is. But uh, let's speculate a little bit more. If uh, if we went into the regular season with no big splashy ac- acquisition, why am I struggling with the word now? If we went in with contagious, uh, this, right? If we went in with this current uh, lineup, um, what would your expectations be in the Atlantic? Because there are teams like Boston. You know, the core is getting older there. Um, Toronto is, you know, they lost Zach Hyman. They lost their goaltender. They got a different goaltender. There's some, some change there, but I don't know that it's necessarily better change. Um, Tampa Bay, you know, lost a couple of pieces, probably nothing too major, but again, not getting better. Florida probably made an upgrade. Um, and they had a good season last year. Yeah. Um, but, but overall the Atlantic seems to be that the teams at the top, you know, the, the guard is quietly changing and Ottawa's, you know, sort of sneaking into the equation. But if they went in with this current lineup, no changes, sort of uh, the lineup. I don't know if you've seen Simmer's tweet earlier, but he gave sort of an optimal lineup of what it could look like if the Sens just kept what they have now and went into the season. Uh, what would your expectations be in the Atlantic? I, I think I would expect them to finish fifth or sixth. I, I think that that's kind of what, I'm hoping for. I think that it's quite possible that any of kind of those older teams that you mentioned um, or those teams that did lose some big pieces or core pieces could have a terrible season. Like we see it all the time where teams all of a sudden kind of fall off and no one really knows exactly what it is. Boston, it seems like has a hard time losing. Like it seems like no matter what they do, they just don't lose. But David Krejci is a, a big loss. Like I know that now Taylor Hall's there and, they, they got him at a really reasonable deal. And you look at that team and they, they look extremely solid always, but Krejci is big. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if like every fan realizes like how big of a role he played on that team and what's going to happen now that he's gone. Marchand and Bergeron are getting older. It's only like so much longer that they're going to be able to play. So if if they don't flip this year, I do think that it's pretty soon. But yeah, kind of on that note, I, I expect Florida and Tampa to be the two front runners. I think that they're going to be at the top of the division. And I think that they're going to be extremely close. I would even maybe give the edge to Florida at this point. And then third, I would maybe say the Leafs, but I am really curious to see how that ridiculously weak left wing position is going to affect them because I, I know that obviously they still have their, their stars, but 
losing what they did in Zach Hyman in, in a position where they really need someone there. Like they, they really don't have a lot of strength in left wing. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where they turn out, but I would imagine that they'll, they'll probably have that third place spot or Boston. I think the, the two of them are kind of going to battle for that. And it'll probably turn out to be three or four. And then uh, I, I think that it'll be Montreal and Ottawa that, that are battling kind of for that, five, six spot in whatever order. And then I, I think that Detroit is going to be scary in a few years, but they're not there yet. And Buffalo might, might break a new record for losing the most <laughs> amount of games since uh, the salary cap era. Like I, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be brutal there this year, probably for a few years, but especially if they lose Eichel, but yeah, no, I, I think that it's not crazy to think that we, we could finish in that five, six spot and potentially, you know, like even if Montreal does well, but Toronto and Boston really fall off a cliff, like we we could truly push for a playoff spot this year, even with the roster that we have. I, I know that it would be really optimistic and some could say, well, you know, like we could also drop lower down and that gap between five and six might be pretty large, but I, I that's where I see them finishing. What about yourself? Yeah, I don't have much more to add because I'm right with you. I think that's kind of where they fit in. And even, you know, the alignment of the teams that you made, pretty similar to, to my thoughts as well, to be honest with you. I think Florida took a pretty good step forward, potentially. You'll have to see what the goaltending situation looks like. But um, but otherwise, I think they made a couple of really nice moves. Um, one of those moves was for a player that Ottawa could have used in, in Reinhardt. And, um, you know, we were talking about it earlier, but he went for... Um, pretty low deal, to be honest. He, he was a bit of a steal of a deal, and he signed a three-year extension worth about six and a half. Um, not bad money either, really, for, for the player, young player. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think five, six would be my expectation, too. Um, Montreal, I think, is probably going to drop the furthest out of those teams, uh, even though I guess they didn't they didn't do well in the regular season. It was just the sort of miraculous playoff run, but they lost Weber. Well, like, and is is Price you know, healthy? Like, I know he, he's going to yeah, miss the beginning I, of the year, I but problems like, and yeah, I I think Montreal is potentially, and then they went out and they they just make some weird moves sometimes. That team, so uh, Mike Hoffman. I mean, you know, what does he have left in the tank? Yeah, he's I don't think I don't think they they have the same high character kind of uh, pedigree that the Ottawa Senators pride themselves on, ju- judging by some of their off-season acquisitions but you know the the middle ground is it's the ultimate sort of worst place to be in as an nhl franchise you know it's okay to be at the bottom because you know that potentially you're going to get some superstar players in the draft and it's obviously it's it's the high life at the top when you can compete for the cup and you can hopefully sort of stretch that window out like the lightning have and pittsburgh has for many years Um, but that the middle ground is where you don't want to be Um, and I think there's a lot of teams now that are sort of entering that middle ground. And I think the Atlantic, as much as we see these teams as major threats, I think if you fast forward, maybe two years, um, I think we're going to be in a pretty good spot to be honest with you. Cause I, I think, you know, unless things happen to, um, certain teams and, and they really change out their core and start to go for it in a different sort of direction, I think Ottawa is going to be in a good spot. So, um, so I don't mind the Atlantic being strong right now because it's not really, the window isn't really open for us right now in terms of, uh, you know, when Ottawa hopes to truly compete. Um, but hopefully it's sooner than later. 
Um, and I'm with you with, you know, all of the alignment that you went through uh, with those teams. Um, there was a last uh, one last point I think we needed to touch on. And I'm trying to remember what that was now. Um, yeah. Do you have any clue what that uh, that last point was? Um, well, one one, <laughs> well, one thing I did want to talk about just before we moved on was yeah. um, that Sam Reinhardt deal. Because I know that we did talk about that a bit and really, really did feel like he was kind of one that got away from Ottawa. Um, he would have been a, a pretty a pretty awesome fit there. But um, what, one thing like about Sam Reinhardt, like the 6.5 times three, I know like we can look at that. We can be like, you know, that's not that much money. But when you factor in the fact that Florida does not have state tax, it really mm -hmm. does play a role in that because all of a sudden you're looking at 8 million likely a year for three years in Ottawa for him to make the same amount of money. And you have to kind of wonder if that was kind of his ask in, in Buffalo was I'm not going for anything less than seven. And when he got to Florida, we're like, well, 6.5 is more than seven here. So let's make this happen. Um, so I, I do, I do wonder, like I, I kind of am taking that deal a bit with a grain of salt because on paper, it does look like a, a steal. Well, not necessarily a steal. It looks like a reasonable deal, but if you consider it in kind of real money, in, in what Ottawa would have to pay for him to take home the same amount. You're, you're looking at close to eight. And I don't know if that's the player that I'm ready to, to give that up for. So um, to, just one, one kind of thing on that note that I wanted to say. And then um, I, I know like we, was there anything else that, that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, no fair point on that. I think that's, uh, that's something that I've wished that the league would sort of combat and come up uh, with, you know, something to work that out so it's a little bit more even because I think that's a, a storyline that sort of it's gathering more steam up and you're hearing more and more um, NHL players um, that don't want to sign in Canada because of that uh, because of the tax deal you know you have to pay them a lot more and you're working with the same salary cap as the American team so it's uh, you're, you're at an automatic disadvantage and then if you're Ottawa you're already a small market sort of team so there's another disadvantage when it comes to signing players and you want to make the salary cap. The idea is so that, you know, there's a quality spread out around the league. So that's something that I wish the league would uh, combat and it might come to a head. Like that's a situation where, you know, as players and agents sort of get smarter and, and sort of understand more of the financial side of things and the business side of things, a lot of players probably won't want to come and play in Canada and it's going to be, in my mind, it's something that will will come a little bit more to the forefront. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up about the contract because you're right. Do you really want to pay eight million dollars for Sam Reinhart? Probably yeah. not when you can get Eichel for a you know two million dollars more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think that like gross salary is really the way to do it. Uh, at least like I, moving forward, like I think that it is something that they're going to need to address. And I, I know like it, it seems like tax rates and everything are just constantly going to change. And I hate to say it, but I know I'm a bit of a climate nerd. And when, when you look at climate change, like tax rates in some areas are probably going to go up significantly more as well, especially for high income people. So I, I genuinely think that that's something that they're going to have to tackle at some point in order to keep the league competitive, because it, it's going to come to a point where, yeah, like it, it's, it's just, it's going to make too much of a difference and it already does make too much of a difference. Like the Tampa Bay is the last team that needed any assistance with the salary cap. Like they're, they're the last ones that needed to stash anything or kind of find loopholes. And, you know, like that, that was one area where 
okay like you can say like they didn't break any rules they didn't do anything wrong like they they shouldn't have that asterisk next to their name on the cup but that that is one thing that i do i do have a hard time with it's like okay well they're going through all of that but then they're also getting away with with paying these really good players some less money because they're they're taking home more at the end of the day so it's kind of one of those things and you know there's a lot of players too who sign deals and then what happens is they don't want to leave those areas where there's low tax rates because if they do then all of a sudden they're taking home potentially 20 to 25,000 or 25 20 to 25% less of their salary than what they currently are. So it's definitely making for a massive imbalance and it's something that you have to wonder if owners and and whatnot bring up in conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are future sickos podcast and we're fixing the NHL, but uh, yeah, take out the trapezoid, the stupid trapezoid thing behind the net and fix your proration of salary cap um, so that it's fair for us, you know, tiny Canadian market teams um, so that we can compete. And there you go. We won't complain. (laughs) I love it. Awesome. And I know we were going to talk a little bit about what we think the AHL is going to look at like next year in Ottawa. And and also there's um, a, a big announcement. So the Ottawa Senators have officially partnered with the, Atlanta Gladiators. So we have an ECHL team again. I know that might not be the most exciting news for, well, many of us, but I I do (laughs) think that um, it it definitely has some strengths. One position that definitely benefits from ECHL is goalies. I know that um, a lot of them kind of go down to the ECHL and get hung out to dry because it's just a brutal league that way, but it, it does apparently help them quite a bit. I've heard numerous people talk about how the ECHL can be great for goalies. And now we have somewhere where Kevin Mandelise will likely play to start next year. Kind of a cool place, kind of a cool logo. I don't know if we really need to dig into that much, but maybe just uh, your, your thoughts on that or even just kind of Belleville next year. And if you think um, what, what the Ottawa senators are planning to do with their AHL affiliate, because They've made that that's one area that they have been extremely busy in is acquiring some very talented AHL players and guys who do quite well at that level and will likely be at that level for all of next year. So um, kind of interesting. It looks like they really want to be competitive there again next year. And I just want to get your thoughts on that, Derek. Yeah, I think I think that's crucial to the organization. I think it's, again, sort of a recognition of where the team is at. Um, because they acquired some big time AHL players that that can quite frankly, they're on the bubble of sort of NHL players. And some of these players have had major success at the AHL level. It just hasn't really translated to the NHL level. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, an area they wanted to hone in on and, and really focus on. The AHL team last year wasn't the greatest. Uh, and the season was just kind of messed up. They were just playing the same team every time. And it wasn't really an accurate representation of what Belleville is going to be. But I think, you know, this year they're going to have young players that they really want to develop. And again, they, they want to establish a winning culture. So I think that's why it's so important for them to make such a good sort of put together such a good AHL team. And I think they will be with what's on paper right now. If you add like, say you add a Pinto and a JBD to those lineups, that's a pretty damn good AHL team. Like that's, you know, a team that would compete with their NHL teams on some nights. So uh, that, that's a, a hell of a lineup. 
Well, one thing that you said is that winning culture, and we know that both Troy and Trent Mann are, are huge advocates for that and really push for it as well. And when we had Jesse Winchester on the show, he said that it's very present in the AHL. And I think that that is, is one thing that is going to be a massive advantage is if we have Logan Brown or any of these players who are playing the AHL that could potentially get called up to the NHL bearing injury or whatever it may be. Maybe they just play so well that they deserve a stint in the NHL. We, we really like, it's going to be extremely helpful to have guys who are playing competitively and playing on a good team that is competing every single night when they make that transition to the NHL. If you're on a team that isn't doing quite like so well, like you're kind of fighting for a playoff spot, not really. There's a lot of inconsistencies. You're losing every night. It, it might be tough to have that. You might It might be tough to see that compete and see those players that are really ready to kind of make that push if given the chance. So I, I think that it's awesome that they're going out and making these signings and making sure like, you know, like, these prospects that we send down there, like you're going to have players to play with. It's not just going to be you and some 35 year old man that is still kind of trying to live out his dream. Like you're getting legitimate players that, that can look good. And I agree. I wouldn't be surprised to see some, some players start there. Pinto, definitely JBD. I think JBD starts there next year. And um, I, I think that that's a good environment for them to start in. And honestly, kudos to the organization for going out and, and doing that and making sure that that's looked after and that they're going to be probably competitive next year yeah and, and troy Mann was extended as well i think this offseason um so i mean that's another you know major piece down there developmentally he does such a good job um at the ahl level in coaching those uh those players to be sort of ready for the nhl and ready for their call up when they get their opportunity and uh i, I think the senators have come a long way when it comes to development uh, one of the names you threw out, Logan Brown, I would be shocked if he's still around. And I know now we're like, you know, three quarters of the way through the offseason and he's somehow still a member of the Ottawa Senators. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised he wasn't moved at the draft. I'm surprised he wasn't moved at free agency. Maybe no one wants him. I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe he's a, a piece of another deal. But I would be genuinely shocked if Logan Brown is still a member of the Senators come the regular season. Yeah, it was definitely interesting that he was protected. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, I feel like he's kind of a guy that you have to protect just because he's at least somewhat of a valuable asset. So you kind of need to see at least what you can get for him. I mean, like I could maybe see them trying to give him a bit of a stint just to see if he can raise his value a little bit. But you have to figure that he's pretty done playing here as well. And I mean, like regardless of what you read into to any comments or conversations online or anywhere, like it's just, it, it's um, it's a bit of a tough situation to be a part of. And um, hopefully they can maybe find that fit. And, you know, if he does start the season here, then he, he still is very talented and um, hopefully he comes to play. There you go. Three Browns in town. I mean, you'd have Josh and Logan and of course, Connor Brown. Um, and maybe Logan's dad would be uh, watching from the stands as well. <laughs> but yeah, he's been actively involved, I guess, in uh, the Sens Twitter stuff until he up and deleted his account. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, another thing, uh, another uh, story for another day, I guess. But uh, oh, we're reaching the end of our time, and I think we've almost talked ourselves to no more storylines. So we need the Pierres to get on something before our next episode so that we have something to talk about other than the same stuff that we've already sort of touched on here with all the speculation. And maybe we'll have something that we know next time. Definitely. I would, I'm 
very starved for content right now, but hopefully we'll be able to to put together something at least next week. Um, so we kind of don't have that gap again. And hopefully there's some big news that breaks. Maybe something breaks right when we log off and, and we uh, we completely missed it. But thank you to everyone for tuning in to episode 12. Um, really appreciate all the support. We've uh, been continually growing and it's, it's really awesome to feel that, especially in an off season where there hasn't even been that much going on. So Kudos to you and thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to interacting with you again.